So I achieved lots and I knew I was a perfectionist at work, but I also knew I'd split with my wife twice and argued even though we had three or four kids, couldn't stop arguing about the same things. And I knew that my whole life was driven by trying to prove to my dad I was good enough, but I never related those three things together. I'm not talking about there being anything wrong with making something perfect. If you think you're going to enjoy the journey to making something perfect or you're going to enjoy the rewards of it, you know, you're going to enjoy writing a book and you want it to be perfect and you're going to enjoy the rewards of seeing it published. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when it becomes an obsession and when you're sacrificing other parts of your life, particularly relationships, to prove that you're good enough. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Are you a perfectionist? Do you find that everything you take on, you want to do absolutely perfectly? to be better than everybody else, and to make sure that you don't get a single thing wrong in the process. Now, this might sound like a positive quality, and it does have some advantages, but it also has some great costs to our health and to our relationships. Chris Ward is the author of the new book, Less Perfect, More Happy. And here we have an in-depth conversation about what perfectionism is, why it develops, what you can do about it, and the enormous cost it can have if you don't get a handle on it. Chris's own perfectionism has driven him to be very successful. He was creative director of Comic Relief. He's raised over £500 million for charities all over the world. He's been involved, along with Richard Curtis, the famous film director, with the launch of the United Nations Global Goals. And for that campaign, he managed to arrange the sending of over 3 billion text messages in order to spread the word. Chris is also a record-breaking cyclist, a best-selling author, and a successful entrepreneur, but his perfectionism at times has nearly destroyed his life. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Ideas Lab podcast. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Now, you are the author of Less Perfect. I've forgotten the name of the book now. We're just talking... (laughs) more happy more happy we see let's keep this in because there you go i'm less perfect more happy and is there a subtitle in there uh no there isn't really richard Curtis gave me a nice quote for the cover the almost perfect book about the impossibility of perfection perfection by richard curtis cbe who's someone you've worked with for quite some time and yeah let's Let's make this the least perfect podcast ever. So we'll keep in the fact that I forgot the name of your damn book. I'm just book. off to the toilet then, John. What's that? <laughs> I'm just off to the toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I should do it. <laughs> as long as you don't take the, the camera with you like somebody did recently on a Zoom meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so perfectionism is a really hot topic. Whenever I talk about it on my courses, people really relate to it. Uh, and it does get in the way... I think it's a massive block for people getting in the way of getting things done, putting things out into the world. Anyone who wants to do stuff on social media around their their own personal brand or around their business, perfectionism is what stops them. I think perfectionism stops us starting a business. It's what I've been writing about for 10 years in my books, at least as part of the main theme. But when you talk about perfectionism, 
you're actually talking about uh, a clinical condition. Is that right? I mean, w- w- when you talk about perfectionism, what do you mean? Um, y- yeah, and uh, it was that was the biggest question and the biggest thing to try and get over from the start because a lot of people still see perfectionism as a positive trait. Um, and so how was I to present that it wasn't? And so I'll go back. You know, I came into it because I um, – so I achieved lots and I knew I was a perfectionist at work. But I also knew I'd split up my wife twice and argued, even though we had three or four kids, couldn't stop arguing about the same things. And I knew that my whole life was driven by trying to prove to my dad I was good enough. But I never related those three things together. And actually, there was an epiphany moment when I discovered OCPD, which is obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which actually the uh, World Economic Forum actually first came out and who said this is the most Uh, This is the biggest sort of unknown uh, mental health disorder that we have in the world. And it's actually now affecting a a substantial number of young people. So there's not. So. So when I say perfectionism, I'm not talking about make about there being anything wrong with making something perfect. If you think you're going to enjoy the journey to making something perfect or you're going to enjoy the rewards of it, you know, you can enjoy writing a book and you want it to be perfect and you're going to enjoy the rewards of seeing it published. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when it becomes an obsession and when you're sacrificing other parts of your life, particularly relationships, to prove that you're good enough. Because essentially perfectionism or OCPD is perfectionism and all the traits you need to make your life perfect, to to hold things together. So at work, that'd be someone who rarely delegates and needs to control everything who has extreme attention to detail, devoted to their tasks at the expense of relationships, believes their way is the only way, believes nothing, but underneath believes nothing they do is ever good enough. And it's so I'll finish off the uh, almost the Wikipedia definition is that um, OCPD is growing up. And by the time you're an adult, feeling some aspect of you is not good enough and believing and be and obsessing about proving that you are good enough essentially to be loved by making some aspect of what you do perfect and um and so we'll come to neoliberalism how that plays a role but in terms of this conversation that is we're almost talking about workplace and entrepreneurs and proving themselves worthy by making their projects perfect and sacrificing their relationships in the interim. And that's the people that I'm talking about. That's who I was. and That's what I never understood. And I came to understand that no one else understood it either. Why? So that's interesting. <clears throat> and, and OCPD, I think this is a slightly confusing acronym because it sounds like OCD, but it's not the same. Can you explain what the difference is? Not at all. Uh, very, very different. In fact, there's more crossover with Asperger's than there is with OCD. So OCD is something you know it's not right. You know obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, as we famously know, you need to keep everything regimented and right and everything lined up perfectly. And um, uh, and that's something essentially a lot of people are born with, or not a lot more born with than develop. And you know that it's not right. And you know you wish you could overcome it quite often and people struggle with it. Whereas OCPD is something that you develop by the time you're an adult and you have no idea it's, there's anything wrong with the way you think. You just think you're right all the time. You've investigated something thoroughly. How can I not be right? And literally, so often people I'm working with 
uh, don't understand they've got it at all and don't realize they've got it. And uh, But you talk to their partners or their children or the people they work with and they tell you this person is a complete perfectionist and I struggle to relate to them. So, um, so yeah, no, there's, they're very different. But, yeah, it's a, unfortunately a very similar uh, uh, group of letters, I suppose. <laughs> and and uh, what percentage of the population have OCPD then? Uh, of young people now, they're saying they are literally saying it's getting to two in five, like 40% of young people have an aspect of OCPD. Um, and, I, you know, I've got children and obviously in the investigation of the book, I worked a lot with young people and that primarily at the moment, I'll go back again now, really. This, um, and it, this is where this conversation might fit with coronavirus in some way, um, because going back to neoliberalism. So in, in the late 70s, and it, actually this fitted with my life, is that Margaret Thatcher came into power and Ronald Reagan in America. And they said, we're going to do things differently now. And um, we're going to... Um, now, if you, we're going to let businesses um, control the way forward. If we support un, unconditionally support business to grow as large as possible, they'll employ more people, more things will be made, um, the economy will be far more successful. And, um, and on an individual level, we were literally told, my parents were told, if you work harder, you will be able to buy more things, you will be more successful, and you will be happier. And that is neoliberalism. And that was brought in in the 70s, in the late 70s, early 80s, into Britain and in America. And actually, um, we derided the first people that believed in that. We derided the people that went out and bought a mobile phone first and, and put community behind as they went to cities to earn lots of money to buy nice, expensive things. And we called those people yuppies. And we laughed at them. And then eventually, over time, we couldn't beat them, which is ironic that that's what it's about. So we all became yuppies, really. We all put earning money and buying more things and believing we would be more successful first above community. And that, and essentially that's, that went along in line with perfectionism becoming a way to prove you were worthy, whereas before it didn't exist before. Whereas, you know, there are other ways, lots of ways, and, um, and perfectionism has always been around, but OCPD wasn't identified till the end of the last century. So only it's only 25 years ago, really, that it was really identified as a problem. Um, there's always been certain levels of perfectionism, without a doubt. Um, but now this, this it sort of manifested itself through neoliberalism. So then at school, school became far more about grading. So now why we have an epidemic of young people now suffering is because school is entirely about being measured, graded, competing to be the best and be, and you get, dropped down at uh, a set at school every quarter or, or put up a set. Whereas in my time, we it might have happened once in your whole schooling. Now it can happen every three months, which is not good. Oh, wow. And then obviously we have, yeah, so social media um, on two aspects. You've got your friends who now, obviously, if you're not invited to a party, you can see them on Snap, snap Maps all going to the party without you. You're sitting there, I don't feel good enough. Here they are all at the party, or oh, there, those two going off together, etc. You can just sit there and see it. And then obviously we're comparing our lives to the most, the richest, potentially some, you know, and richest and many perfectionists who need their own validation by showing off their success through, uh, through social media. So I would um, 
has it a, a big guess that a lot of influencers are perfectionists. Um, and then, uh, so what we got education, social media and advertising. So that was the final piece in the jigsaw puzzle. The ab- advertising used to be about products. This is a good product, buy this product. And then brands have competed and competed for the last 20, 30 years on branding. And so now they've all, not all, but I've got to say a vast percentage have reached the same uh, conclusion that if you present a brand as being perfect, it can help you look perfect or achieve perfection, then that positioning can't be beaten and everybody wants it. Every consumer wants to feel we're buying the perfect product or a product that will make us achieve perfection. And so there's just... For young people growing up into this world, like we can see outside it, we can see there was sort of a life before in a way, but now everything is driven to achievement and um, and perfection. And so that's why we have an epidemic of young people struggling because we weren't born to be perfect. We were all born the same. We we're all born a bit imperfect. We all love being carefree, playing out when we were young toddlers. And then these outside forces come in and try and tell us all the time that that isn't good enough or we're not good enough and we need to um, achieve more. Um, so I was even going to say, at the very so parenting, that, um, you know, we parenting now is about buying the latest products, putting your child in another room, decorating that ch- child's room to the very best, giving them a mobile phone if they're annoying you while you are distracted with your own perfectionism trying to achieve something. And so already, as a young kid, you're already slightly on the back foot am I unconditionally loved because I might have a nice pink bedroom when I'm like a year old, but I don't get to to sleep on my mother's chest or my uh, parents' chest like all day, all night, which is what we were actually evolved to do. Yeah. Anyway, the sermon of today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know something about this because you, you were in the advertising world originally, weren't you? Isn't that, those were your agencies that you set up? Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I ran, a couple of big agencies, which I managed to sell. And, and, and I, um, like I wrote a book years ago called Out of Office, which you know was about moving uh, out of office. And I wrote that in 2012. And because I couldn't, and in hindsight, that was my perfectionism, that I couldn't stand the uncontrollable environment of an office with a hundred people in, where I'd be annoyed that three of them turned up a minute late for work. And they were also the same three that went home a minute early and it would play on my mind and the uncontrollability of it. So I just disappeared to a coffee shop. I was doing this from, blimey, I was doing this from 2000, before there was Wi-Fi, before internet. I'd take my laptop to a Benugos coffee shop, which the first Benugos that would appear in Soho, and just sit there and write my stuff on my own. So actually, out of office, the book was, it had the right content, but it was the wrong motivation behind it. It was actually a bigger motivation. It was the uncontrollability of my life that I couldn't handle and why I had to disappear on my own. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's a, that's a fascinating idea of, of how society has contributed to this. It does. I can see that um, there's a level of perfectionism which everyone is striving for, which we didn't have before. And I remember I was driving with a friend of mine um, through our old hometown. So he now lives in Upper New York State. And uh, and I live in London and we were driving through Sullivan where I grew up and we drove past his old school and there's all these kids hanging around outside. And he goes like, how do they all look so good? They look like models. And, and you look at photos of us in the 80s growing up because I'm in my 50s and we, we you know, 
we, we look so terrible in comparison, just so crushingly unstyled, you know, wearing some cardigan that someone is knitty for us. I mean, this is, you know, even the, even the good looking types who actually had some concern, the standards since then are, have gone up massively. And I think, I think it's quite a difficult thing to stop. So I don't, I, I don't know. I completely see the the world the way you do, but I think there's there's some certainly some truth in what you're saying. I, you know, I don't think there's any kind of sort of evil neoliberal force, but we there is an accelerating cause, which is like you say, you let everyone compare how everyone looks, everyone starts to want to look better, and then that kind of accelerates like a sort of you know good looking looks based arms race of you've got to yeah. be better than the next person. And that was inevitably going to speed up whatever happens. Social media has definitely accelerated it. The question is, how do we put the the brakes on that? But I mean, <clears throat> in terms of perfectionism, for anyone who's thinking, well, am I a perfectionist or not? You, you said like your, your, it probably comes out in your work and your lack of a tolerance for others. Are there any other symptoms that people should be looking for that might indicate they uh-huh. have OCPD? Yeah, I'm gonna. I've got a list here because it's quite a lot. But it's all. It's literally all based around everything is a sim. Is everything is a trait about controlling your life? Um, because having control, you can't achieve perfection if you're letting anyone else have an influence on your life. Um, so, as a parent. I've got a couple here, like helping your children do their tasks better because you can show them, oh, I can, you can do it like this. Why not do it like this? Argumentative with your partner, often over parenting issues because you, you need to parent your children in the way that you were parented is often the case. Imposing your own high standards on anybody and um, always distracted by a task or a worry in your head. So one of the big things is missing your own children's childhood because you might be there in assembly, you might be there um, at the playing field, but your mind is elsewhere on a task you're trying to do at work. Um, rigid about rules, quite competitive, procrastination, and at the opposite end, making last-minute decisions. You procrastinate because you want every decision to be the perfect decision. You know, where are we going on holiday? Well, hold on, I'm just going to I'm just going to check 58 websites and the weather in each of the places and what the the uh, yeah, that's that's really important. And I think a lot of people miss this. I think a lot of procrastination, I know my procrastination is a form of perfectionism. So the reason I'm surrounded by clutter on my desk in front of me here is because I I feel like I have to make the perfect decision of what to do with that piece of paper. And also, you know, something I printed out a while ago and wrote a note on, I haven't processed that perfectly yet, so I can't throw it away. And so it causes this stuckness. And um, I saw that guy give a talk saying that uh, army guy in America saying, you know, you should make your bed every day because when you do that, you feel like you're winning and here's the, all the great benefits. I even bought his book called Make Your Bed. Can't remember his name now, Colonel or something or whatever. And, uh, and I thought, okay, yeah, I'm really going to start making my bed. And I didn't. And even then, I did it for like a couple of days. But And the reason why is what's going on in my head is I can't make it perfectly. This is like, these I can never make these fabrics line up perfectly. And the breakthrough for me, which has actually allowed me to persist in this habit, is make it badly. And that was actually, when I, when I tell myself that, whenever I feel that instance, that instinct to leave something, 
and not do it at all because I can't do it perfectly. As long as it's not something, you know, I'm not doing brain surgery here or something. Um, if it's a case of making my bed, I tell myself, do it badly. Because actually, my version of badly is actually not that bad anyway, first of all. But also, it means that I'd rather just do it. And then I come back and I find my bed made, even if it's not, you know, ironed perfectly. Um, and that's, that seems to be a breakthrough for me. So I would say anybody who's recognizes they're procrastinating, look at what's behind that. And is it because you're telling yourself you're procrastinating, you can't do it perfectly. So for instance, social media, I have loads of clients on my pioneer program and other courses. They're not putting out nearly enough stuff on social media. Partly that's a fear of being visible, but partly it's because they feel like everything has to be this work of art before you hand it to the general public. And what's really working is people being themselves, being imperfect, being authentic and going, look, I had a thought this morning. I think it might be helpful for some people. And it's not form fully formulated and slick. And you just go live and you share it in whatever your area of expertise is. Um, so I think that procrastination point is really important. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It holds people back big time. Uh, and it's why the, the first thing is that... Um, as your first thing, you can't make it perfect. That uh, perfectionists have all or nothing thinking. So it is. If I can't make it perfect, I want nothing to do with it. So I just want it to be a routine in my life that I don't have to think about. So you can. So a perfect example of that is Mark Zuckerberg's wardrobe, which just has apparently twelve grey t-shirts and twelve pairs of jeans. So he doesn't have to think about it. He doesn't. I have no interest in clothes, and uh, and you'll probably find lots of entrepreneurs have no interest in clothes or really money or even um, food. It's just about success. You can't be perfect to everything, but you need to be perfect to the thing that you feel is going to most prove that you're worthy enough, that you're going to achieve validation. And me wearing the right clothes is never going to do that. But for other people, it will be wearing the right clothes. So it is all or nothing. And I was like that at school. I felt I couldn't do anything. So I did nothing. And I thought I was useless. And my reports say I was useless. But I wasn't. I just wasn't interested because of outside school. And obviously, I've literally I've got one GCSE and I worked in a booster chemist for three years. It was my first job because that was the level of my life because that's because I was useless. Well, it wasn't useless. It was uninterested and, um, and didn't feel anything I could do would be good enough. And then on the, as you say, it is just a case of doing it. And one of the most famous perfectionist of, of all time really is Steve Jobs at Apple and uh, who wouldn't release a product and, and although they, Apple have bought us amazing products they could have been more successful earlier um, and they took a long time to release a lot of products um, and it, he it was, destroyed his perfectionism destroyed his his company next it was it was because it was unconstrained when he was thrown out of Apple and he formed next it, everything was so perfect there. There was no one to put the brakes on that habit. And he ended up with his computer that cost, you know, £20,000 to buy. Nobody bought it, unsurprisingly. He apparently had this this factory that was a work of art. He, he was like an art installation. All the robots were all white and <laughs> pristine. And the company just tanked. And thankfully for him, he was pulled back into Apple because Apple was not doing well. So he had to tame that. And that's actually, so yeah, it's perfect. If you tame it, it seems like it can be a positive force because I think that passion to do something right is a good instinct. And also, I mean, I don't want to kind of play down too much 
that we were talking before we start recording that the you know I had a partner who I think had something like what you're describing and her instinct under stress was to work at an unbelievable pace to the point where she would not eat or drink uh, all day and to the point where she would feel faint now that's clearly not healthy living um however she got a lot of stuff done and at that time back then she made more money than me and so uh, because my instinct my uh, instinct under crushing pressure was to collapse and was a kind of depressive response and to to go well oh i'm doomed so you either kind of when the waves coming at you you either kind of ride it and go and and then surf it like a an adrenaline junkie or you get drowned by it and i think those two responses to the same thing um do have different outcomes so it it definitely has a cost to your health to your relationships if you go down the productivity response but it also has a cost if you go down the collapse response so i mean you have created two successful companies that you sold you've ended up working with richard curtis you've been involved with you were creative director of comedy relief comedy relief sorry and you've recently involved in the UN goals and texted. I remember we interviewed you a few years ago. You texted 2 billion people on earth or something. So, I mean, the, 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 there is there is some upside, isn't there? I mean, you'd like to, now you're ameliorating the downsides, but there is an upside. Yeah. Well, it's difficult because, um, uh, and yeah, I would say, yeah, I have had success and I have enough money to pay the bills. So, uh, which nothing would make me happier really than I can pay my bills. But, you know, I split with my wife twice and we have four kids. And if, and if I wasn't lucky that she didn't find someone else and we're back together, I would be living in a, probably in a small flat on my own with my four kids living with my wife and me seeing them every other weekend. And I potentially wouldn't even be here because it would be so depressing to live with that life and sacrifice. Um, it's just, it's huge imperfectionism it, it, because it's a, you know, it's this personality disorder that you often don't know you have and you don't know how destroying you are to your relationships. You're just unaware. And, um, and so it's hard in, at the time and that you'll have lots of people who might listen to this who, who are not in important relationships and, and see perfectionism as their route to success. And, and you're right, it can be a route to success, although there's definitely there's lots of research now to show if you spend excessive hours working on something, you're being extremely detrimental to the products, let alone to your own uh, capacity to work productively on it. Um, so, but now being older, having you know more of a family life, realizing how important family is, um, I, I struggle to think. I would prefer to help people overcome perfectionism so that you could make it a choice rather than an obsession. Um, and as you said, we live in this world now, um, but and that's where coronavirus potentially fits into this conversation because before you could imagine the end of the world more than you could be managing the end of capitalism or neoliberalism because it's here. What else is there? But now, obviously, there's shoots of people shouting, you know, we don't want celebrities earning a fortune anymore. We don't want multi-billionaire uh, business people. We don't want multi-billionaire footballers. The people that have been our icons of success for the last 40 years are the first people that are getting sort of publicly knocked down during this period. 
So it, it you know, and no doubt, if if we come over, come out of it without too much sort of bad happening, then we'll return to normal. Never want to be at Westfield Shopping Centre within ten minutes. But there's a potential here that actually maybe, you know, at least there'll be a new way of, of, for quite a lot of people looking at life and don't want to be so competitive and don't want to be so judgmental and don't want uh, rich people to be the icons that we sort of are setting out to try to sort of be the same as really to replicate. I think that's, yeah, I think there's, there's some truth in that. And I think, you know, we're seeing like, who gives a crap about influencers right now, right? People are not <clears throat> suddenly getting the latest Instagram star on TV to interview. They're interviewing doctors and scientists because that's what we want to know. And we're interviewing normal NHS workers and we're applauding them every Thursday evening. So that's, so it has reset that, that focus. And I think people are also appreciating things that they've lost and appreciating you know, relationships more and how to maintain those when we're in lockdown. So it has kind of reset things um, uh, in a way that could be very positive. I'm doubtful we'll see the end of capitalism myself and not even entirely convinced that's a good thing. Certainly, I certainly do do believe in ameliorating and limiting uh, the damage it can do. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, and... and is it's um is what they what they call it community catalysm that brands will have to do good as part of their commercial public offering and not just in the CSR HR departments. You will, you know, we've talked about it for years, but you know, the backlash now, Virgin again, substantial backlash, Weatherspoons again substantial backlash, and the companies that are doing good by their staff publicly and by their customers are getting a lot of positivity, and so that would that would be the probably the best realistic thing that would come out of this in terms of positive impact on capitalism. That actually, part of your business model needs to include the the good. Where is the good part of this product? Yeah, no, and I, and I agree. And I think the you know what I'm advising my clients at the moment is that the if you can do something that is an act of generosity that just helps people. Yes, there are things you can still sell, and you should still have a kind of business strategy if, if, because you need to make a living. But at the same time, there's an opportunity for you to help more people to do something for free, to do live videos, to run free courses as I just did with a thousand people, to run a Facebook group, to get people together, whatever it is, do some art initiative even that helps people. And people who do that as a genuine act of generosity will be remembered. And those are the people we are going to trust and want to give our money to if we're going to buy something in future. Like the people in my industry, which you could, you might find this nauseating phrase, but it was vaguely called the expert industry. Um, you know, I remember the people who actually changed track tack and said, how can I help you? And versus those that just carried on with the, running the same Facebook as they set up two weeks ago um, with no change in tone and no addressing of what's going on and where people are so i think um yeah i think that it, it is an interesting time and it will it will change things i mean i've always thought life could end at any moment anyway because that's been made apparent to me throughout my life but um having lost my father when i was six months old so i was always kind of prepared for life to end as we know it um it's been less shocking for me than for some people as a result and also 
I work online, so uh, it makes less difference to my work. Um, but I think we, we're going to see, it's going to be interesting to see what the world looks like. And I think it won't be quite the same afterwards, hopefully in a good way. So before we finish, though, if people are realizing, OK, they have something going on with perfectionism, it looks like maybe they do have OCPD. What can we do about it? Um, well, really, and you, what you can't do is to, like with perfectionists, the, of the, uh, the people that the way people have tried to solve it for their friend or for their pupil at school is say, I'll get on with it. That's good enough. And that is literally like telling someone who's depressed to cheer up. It has no impact and it's probably negative and they're not listening to you and they don't believe you because it's in, because the impossibility of it is for me, for instance, as an instance was, would I, you know, would my dad have thought what I'm doing is brilliant and perfect? Would he have said, well done in my own head, not even asking, he wouldn't even think about it. So let alone some vague acquaintance telling me, oh, that's a brilliant piece of work. No, it's not my, I know my dad wouldn't think that was brilliant. And so it's that sort of impossibility that's playing in your head. So really, so I've in the book is um, is like a 12 step guide because it's the same as overcoming any other obsession or addiction. Really, it's my version of the AA 12 step guide. And so number one really is understanding why what made you feel not good enough. And, and uh, you know, it can be anything and, and divorce or splitting up parents while you're young is what is the biggest individual cause that can be identified because young children can in some mistaken way uh, blame themselves or think if I become perfect then I can um, put it all back together again and actually a lot of um, in fact I think it's actually a majority over 50 percent of British female athletes who've won medals at Olympics come from homes where the, their parents have split up when they were young and that um, those as three-year-old girls have gone out and set out to prove that they can be good enough and make this all good again. Um, so that's the biggest individual cause, but it can be anything like mine was my, you know, was my dad following Margaret Thatcher and saying, come on, you need to work harder and, and not, and judging me by his high standard and not saying well done and not cuddling me because that's not what dads did then. So I felt like all the time I had to prove myself but it could be at school, it could be relationships. That's why, as we said earlier, all the causes earlier, yeah, you know, already not being on the back foot as a very small child and then you see all this competitive, judgmental world. It's really hard to stay, um, you know, centred and feel good enough about yourself. With our own sort of family, when we're our own kids, we sort of tried to develop the kitchen lounge into like this completely non-judgmental place where we could all laugh with each other and at each other, sort of a break, because even the bedrooms are not a break because your mobile phone's in there and you can see the outside world all the time. So we try to have this moment and a break and that seems to have helped, but it's, it's tough. So, you know, there's, I've put this 12 step guide and it is, you know, number one is the big one, really take the time to understand what perfectionism actually is an OCPD, which we've done through this. And then, Try to understand what may have caused your perfectionism. Discuss the experiences that may have caused your perfectionism and the traits you want to change with the help of a trusted friend, partner, counsellor or a sponsor. Um, very similar to AA. And that's, you know, it's the same if you saw, you know, someone obsessed with gambling or shopping or uh, drugs or alcohol, you wouldn't just say, stop, come on, carry on. And it's, it's a similar level to that. 
Yeah. No, that's a really important point. So, uh, you know, it sounds like if we can somehow, the most important thing in, in a way is that if you get a chink of light and just begin to realize that maybe, you know, the problems that seem to be going on around you in your relationships and maybe in your health and so on, maybe this is an indication that something is wrong and that maybe the way your parents, what happened that instilled that was not the best possible most healthy parenting if you can just get a chink of light because as you say you know thinking of the perfectionist person i was in a relationship with i think she very much had the intention of parenting any child she had in exactly the same way and i could see that was that scared me even back then so um well, so we, up these, uh, and particular perfectionist believes this to bring up your children to be better versions of yourself um which yeah is a nightmare well, the one little tip I'd say on a day-to-day basis in terms of managing, if you realize this and you think, fuck, I, some of these problems could be me, I'll think about it, is just to put the person you're with first in front of anything else, in front of distraction. And the distraction is the main thing. Oh, I'm doing this later. How's that going to go? What am I going to wear? What am I? How am I going to do it? Or I've got this big project. Just you know, and, and I used to literally come home, look at my mobile phone outside the front door before I opened the front door just to check it off, done it, park it and come in. And then everyone who's with me is the most important thing. So put the person you're with first. And that will, that can, if that became a habit, then that makes a huge difference. That's great. I really like that idea. So that's something practical people can do. Yeah. Well, Chris, thanks so much. Where can people get your book? Less perfect, more happy. Did I get that right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got it perfect. <laughs> we got it. Um, so, uh, at some good bookshops, not uh, not WH Smith travel deep ones like yours will be, <laughs> but um, and on Amazon. And I actually have a website as well, Less Perfect, More Happy website, where you can buy it direct from me on there. Um, I'd find, I'd, I thought you were going to ask me, I've managed to get some good PR um, so I was on Radio 5 and the Daily Mail on the same day. And Amazon, you have a system where you can tell them you're going to get PR. So I said, oh, I'm going to get PR. Here's the proof. And then uh, they didn't order any more books. So it sold out like within one minute of the Daily Mail. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. So, uh, so, yeah, I'm not their biggest fan. Okay, um, that's interesting. Yeah, but you can buy on Amazon and at lessperfectsmorehappy.com. And if people want to find out about you, Chris, should they? is there a website or should they check you out on social media? Um, yeah, Facebook is the only one I really stick on and I'm just there as Chris Ward. Probably come across me, Twitter, Chris Ward author. But I, I, that's one of my things. I'm, you know, perfectionists, often trolls, what we call trolls can be perfectionists because you once you do something, you feel you've got to own it and and you've got to be right. And now I can see it. It's a place I don't want to be really. So, um, so I tend, I'm trying to steer clear, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook and, um, and then less perfect, more happy.com. Great. Okay. Well, thanks Chris. That's been really interesting. Good, no, brilliant. No, it's good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.